Have you ever wanted something so badly that you were willing to do whatever it takes to get it? This reminds me of one of those times. It's a Charleston Chew. I didn't steal a Charleston Chew, and I'm remembering, no. I won a contest. I had a friend who had three boxes of the full-size 24-count Charleston Chews. And he said to the two other friends that were there, whoever can eat the most of these, they were strawberry, by the way, and he said, whoever can eat the most can have one of those full boxes. I won. I ate 11 full-size Charleston Chews. It came at a cost. It happened on the day that we traveled one hour away to Boston as my dad had a composition lesson. And we were in a van, and my mom made my favorite cookie, a lumberjack cookie, molasses cookie. She probably only asked me once, but it seemed like she asked me 50 times, Robert, would you like a molasses cookie, a lumberjack cookie? And from the back, no. Because those 11 Charleston chews started to hit. We got to Boston, and finally I said, you got to let me out. And I got out on the Boston street. Little did I know I was standing behind a bus stop sign, and perfectly timed was a bus that was coming right here. Doors swung open right when my stomach said, I'm swinging wide open to get rid of those 11 Charleston chews. And the people were yelling at me. I won. I wanted those Charleston chews so badly, it didn't matter the cost. Well, we're going to look today at the Israelites who were willing to do whatever it would take, no matter the cost, to get what they wanted. We've been in this series called The Story, where we're looking at God's big story and all the little stories that are big and important chronologically through Genesis to Revelation. We're looking at God's story and how his story and our story can intersect. And so we're going to continue today in the story, week 10, and we're going to look at Israel's first king, Saul. I want to have the ushers come down. They have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, just signal to them. They will give you a Bible. It's yours to keep. It's a gift from the church. Um, but if you would like to get that signal to them, we're going to be in 1 Samuel today. And timeline, that's about 11 BC, 11th century BC where this is happening. And if you remember, the book of Judges ended with a verse that said, Israel had no king. Everybody did as they saw fit, which is not a recipe for success at all. And so when we get to 1 Samuel, Israel is at a low point. They're at a low point spiritually. The priests are corrupt. The judges are crooked and dishonest. The Ark of the Covenant, which we spoke about a few Sundays ago, that represented God's presence that was to reside in the tabernacle, was gone. Israel was at a very low point. And just like when we began the book of Ruth last week, how God took an ordinary family, as we enter into 1 Samuel, God brings an ordinary family and he raises up a child named Samuel who is going to be influential in transitioning Israel in their point in history here from judges to kings. And so Samuel is going to be the last judge and prophet who's going to lead Israel during this transitional time. And Israel is being squeezed in from all sides, from all different 
military powers. And there's no superpower right now. It's ripe for somebody to claim that position. And so the Israelites are feeling this and they look around and they have an answer to what they want next. Let's read in 1 Samuel 8, starting verse 4. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you're now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Like all the other nations have. Israel, ever since they entered the promised land, they looked around and they see nations that have kings, that are led by kings. On their way to the promised land, they were enslaved by nations that were led by a king. And so they had this desire as they looked around, we want what others have. We want. Give it to us. We're in a time with Christmas where that I want can come out a little bit. Donnie talked about it last week. He wanted his, what was it, a super matchbox garage. That's what he wanted. We had different toys. I was thinking about that. My toy, I wanted a Timex Sinclair computer with 2K on it. Anybody remember that? Had a cassette, and I wanted the optional memory expansion of 16K. That's what I wanted. My friends had that. But Christmas reminds us of that. And you don't even have to look around yourself. Go to Amazon. They'll do the looking for you. Hey, here's what others are looking at. But it's not just stuff that we do this with, where we say, I want. It happens in life, too. I want a relationship like others have. I want a certain income. I want family. I want a certain kind of retirement. I want quality time in the family like it used to be. I want. And as I was preparing for this message, there's always times that I can connect with the Israelites. But this week, I was connecting a certain episode in my life with what the Israelites were going through when they said, we want. I remember when I said, I want. I I haven't been a pastor this whole time. Since 1988 to 2005, I was in the software industry, software developer. And I knew I would get a call into doing something like pastoring. And it came clear in 2005 It's now time. Step into that. And so in 2005, I stepped out of software and uh, moved into being the small groups pastor here. As Donnie Williams, our lead pastor, stepped from small groups pastor to lead pastor. And the church was one site at the time. And that site grew. And then the church's growth strategy is to do multi-site. So we grew to another site. And I'm a small groups pastor, and I look around, and I start to say, to take small groups to the next level, we need somebody else. And so I proceeded, and I went to Donnie and said, here's what I want. I want to step out so somebody else can step in and take care of that. It made sense to me. My I want made sense. It made sense to the Israelites, too. Samuel was old. He had just led this spiritual revival. Remember, they were at their low point. He led them out of that. And his brothers were corrupt. So the Israelites perhaps are saying, we don't want to go back there. So now's the time 
for a transition. We want a king. We've had no real leader up to this point. Sure, we had judges and they would step in, but they started to desire to have that king and it made sense to them. But if it made sense, then why in verse 6 of chapter 8 do we see and read that Samuel was displeased? Why was he upset? Some of your translations will say he was crushed. He was terribly upset. If it made sense, why? A little backstory on Samuel. He was not only the answer for Israel to come as a leader, as the last judge and the prophet who would transition from judges to kings. He was also the answer to prayer of a childless woman named Hannah, his mother, Samuel's mother. She looked around. She saw everybody else with kids, and she didn't have a child. And that brought great pain. You need to read even, she's probably depressed, but in the depression, she brought it to the Lord. She even went as far to say, if you allow me to have a child, I will give you to him for service for a lifetime. The things she desired, she was willing to give away. Samuel comes from that kind of family. And so he sees the nation of Israel desiring something, but they're going elsewhere for for guidance and for leadership. And so he did what his mother did and what he had done over and over and over in his leadership position as judge. And that is he went and talked to the Lord. He prayed with him and talked to him about this. And God says, Samuel, you need to go ahead and listen to them. But know this, this has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. They are rejecting me. God knew that this would happen. Moses foretold this hundreds of years ago. We read in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, where Moses foreshadows, he says, you are about to to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. And if this happens, be sure to select as king the man that the Lord your God chooses. You see, God knew, he cared, he offered suggestions, and in his grace, he sends Samuel. He actually says, listen to him, but warn him, warn them. So what he's basically saying is, I need you to put on your prophet hat right now. And he sends him to go. And when God tells a prophet to go speak, it's usually not good. It's like when you were a kid and your name comes over the loudspeaker. Robert, will you come to the office, please? Right? Your heart sinks. It's not good. It's like being on a plane and you hear, this is the captain. And uh, we've touched base with the, uh, the tower And when you hear that, you know, not good news. And so Samuel proceeds in uh, chapter 8 there, over nine verses, six times he warns them, the king you are requesting is going to take from you. Take, 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 take. Six times he says different things of how this king is going to live for his glory, his grandeur, and be all about him. Their decision 
made sense to them. And it made sense to me. But God, in his grace, sends Samuel to go and speak wisdom into their life. In 2008, God, in his grace, sent a Samuel to me. It was Donnie. I'm not saying, I'm not putting him on profit status, okay? I can give you some stories. We can eliminate all that. (laughs) But I say it because it speaks to the character of our leader here. Because that's a hard position. To come and be bold and courageous and speak truth into somebody's life, you have to care more about what God thinks than what others think and what you think. And he was willing to take that step, just like Samuel was willing to do it as well. And as a side note, I'll say some of you in here are to be Samuels to somebody else. Oh, God could do it himself, but he wants you, because of your story, your experiences, to truth into somebody's life. Can you be a Samuel for someone? Donnie was that for me, and I wish I could say I listened to my Samuel. I listened to the wisdom, but my desire was so great, like the Israelites' desire was so great, and they said, no, we want it our way. I said, no, I need to, and I will step out so somebody else can step in. It made sense to me. And maybe you're at one of those positions, a decision point, for legitimate reasons, and it seems to make sense to you. Israel's decision made sense to them, but they were short-sighted in knowing that God was working in so many other areas, and they were forgetting so quickly their purpose. They were forgetting their purpose. They were a nation of purpose. This whole story is about God pursuing the hearts of his people. He told Abraham, I am going to make you into a great nation. I will multiply your family line. I will bless them. I will bless others through you. You are a nation, a chosen nation. I am your king to lead you. I graciously chose you as my very own. I myself am to be Israel's king to show others as they look around that they don't see you, they see God through my leadership of you. And it comes to the question that we, that like the Israelites had to answer and we have to answer. Do I want a king? Or do I want the king? Do I want a king or the king? You see, they had the same desire. God wanted him, wanted Israelites to have a king. Just like the Israelites wanted a king. But you see, they wanted a king instead of God versus a king under God. Israel was choosing what they could see. There was pressure. So they... We want power and relief from all of this pressure. And all of a sudden, that became their king, and they're forgetting their purpose, that they were to be led by the king so that others could see them. And they said, no, we want relief and power, and that became their king. So that question, who or what is king in our life? What do we want, a king or the king? 
just some questions that we can ask ourselves to help get the answer. What do you think about a lot? What is your mind consumed with? Because there's your king. Is it an emotion? Is it a circumstance? Is it a thing? There is your king. Do you ever say, if blank happens, then life will be back to normal? Or if this certain circumstances would just happen, then it would be, life would be successful. The blank is your king. Why do I want what I want? What's my motive? Because there's my king. Where is your king? Who is your king? You see, this, there is a saying that goes like this. As a king goes, so do his people. We will follow the lead of what is king in our life. And Israel was seeking power and relief. That became their king. And for me, stepping out in 2008 made sense in one way, but what became my king? As I stepped out and looked around at leading in growth and leading in places I had never been before, I didn't like what I saw in my own ability and capability. And so fear and anxiety became my king and relief from that. And so that's what I started to follow. And God allowed me to step into that decision that I made. Just like he allowed the Israelites to step into their decision where they said, we want a king like everybody else. And so Saul was chosen as the first king. It wasn't God's first choice. Israel had the wrong attitude, the wrong motive. It, the king wasn't even supposed to come through the tribe of Benjamin. It was supposed to come through the tribe of Judah. Why did God allow it to happen then? If that's not the way it was supposed to happen, why did he allow it? Perhaps God, our heavenly father, is acting like earthly fathers and mothers who allow their children to go through something so that they can learn. For the Israelites, perhaps learning that getting your way can come at a high cost. For me to learn what was really behind my motive. But you see, things started really well for me. I stepped out. The company that I used to work for for 18 years said, yeah, come on back. Drove on campus, saw signs that I remembered. Oh, yes, that's what I wanted. Got the badge. I remember the officers there and the badge. Yes, that's what I wanted. Got to the office and saw the computer. All the things I wanted started really, really well. It went really well for the Israelites as well. Samuel had privately anointed Saul as king. Saul looked the part. When you read the text, he looked the part. He was tall. He looked kingly. So he was catching on real well with the Israelites. They loved him. Yes, this is what we wanted. His tribe, Benjamin, was geographically located where the northern and southern tribes of Israel were like, yes, we're going to get total protection given where they're situated. Saul listened. He was humble. He sought God in what he was doing. And so it started really well for him. And right after 
the successes of uh, taking care of the Ammonites, Samuel says, he gives his final farewell speech. Because remember, he's the last judge. And so he gets the people, the Israelites there, and he gives his farewell speech as he transitions to officially, in front of the Israelites, anoint Saul as king. Here's what he says. All right. Here's the king you have chosen. You asked for him, and the Lord has granted your request. Now, if you fear and worship the Lord and listen to his voice, and if you do not rebel against the Lord's commands, then both of you and your king will show that you recognize the Lord as your God. But if you rebel against the Lord's commands and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be as heavy upon you as it was upon his ancestors. You see, God, through the prophet Samuel, was telling Saul that you need to submit to the real king. Just like we have to submit to the real king. Saul had to subject himself as the king of Israel to God. And this is where things take a turn. They started well, but they start to take a turn. You can read chapters uh, 1 Samuel 13 through 15, and you see it start to take a turn. Because Saul starts to think he is the king. And it boils down to like three episodes. He started to distrust and fear. He saw the Philistines start to press in, and his troops started scattering. And so he started distrusting. And then he became impatient. Samuel told him, listen, I will be here to offer a sacrifice to get God's blessing before we go out. Well, Saul got impatient. And so he did it himself. Not a good thing. And then the final straw. God told Saul to completely annihilate the Amalekites. They were a pagan nation. Completely destroy them. Don't leave anything. They were a pagan nation. They would lead you astray. So Saul almost obeyed. And there's no such thing as almost obeyed. Don't try it as a child. I tried it several times. It doesn't work. But he almost obeyed. Here's how, what I mean by that. He left the king. And he left all of, like we read, the good animals. The best of the best, he kept. So he kept the king and he kept all the good stuff. And then he tries to act like nothing happened, like he pulled it off. So Samuel comes and Saul goes, blessings, my Lord. I've done everything that the Lord has asked. In the meantime, you hear the goats and the cows behind him. Samuel hears that. He's caught red-handed. Remind me of that episode. I got a picture of my, when I walked in my house, my dog one day, um, she was in the living room. I opened up the door and there was flour all over the floor with the container, and comes the dog in, into the kitchen with a white nose. <laughs> she knew. Saul knew. Those animals were... <laughs> and Samuel goes, hey, you even read. So what is the bleeding of the goat in this? And not only did he disobey, and then he lied about it, at that point, he then blames others. He goes, well, actually... Um, I can pick up. We saved the best so that we could um, offer as a sacrifice to the Lord. That's what we wanted to do. The troops, blaming the troops, d- saved it so that we could give it to the Lord as a sacrifice. Right decision, wrong motive. 
And so he lies, he disobeys, and that begins his downfall. He blames others. And right then, Samuel says, after he says, this is a sacrifice, Saul says, this is a sacrifice for the Lord who wanted to give it to him. Here's what Samuel says in uh, chapter 15. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. You see, Israel just wanted a king, but God wanted a king who would subject himself to him, who would listen to him for his leadership. And that wasn't the case with Saul. Samuel, remember, he warned the Israelites, this king is going to take, 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 take. It's going to be all about him. And it's coming true here. And the end result, as we finish, if you read week 10, what happens? Saul gets rejected as king. That's the way our story ends today. And you're probably going, great. Pastor opens with a vomit story, and he ends with the rejection of the king. Yeah, I'm going to try five, right? <laughs> Listen, God's not done. <laughs> this is his story. He, he loves his people. So we're going to see next week, he's going to provide a way. He wants them to have a king, a king that he chooses. And he is going to provide a way for that to happen. And you just need to come back next week to see that. But what we can learn from this failure of the human king for, for you and I is it should make us long for the perfect king, Jesus Christ. I can tell you, as a Christ follower, this, in 2008, as a Christ follower, I've been a Christ follower since 1982. But even as a Christ follower, getting your own way comes at a cost. All you have to do is tell my, say these words to my family, my Elizabeth, Nick, and my wife, Kim. How was summer of 2008? Oh, they, roll, they, they will, if they don't cry, they will like cringe. It came at a high price. But by the grace of God, he knew, he allowed me to journey into this time, this period, and it was helping me to learn that I was answering that question, do I want a king or the king? In a certain area of my life, I was answering it another way. I was allowing fear and relief to be king in a certain area. And he said, Rob, I'm your savior and I'm your Lord. Let me in on this one area. Stop looking at yourself. Of course, you're not going to be enough, but I am enough. Follow my lead. And all of a sudden, my story starts to intersect once again with God's story, and that's where significant purpose comes in our life. When we allow our story to intersect with God's story. You see, we weren't meant to be like all other nations. We weren't meant just to blend in. We were meant to have a relationship with our Creator. And that is possible not by our own work, but by the way He provided through the perfect King, Jesus Christ. Do I want a King or the King? And some of you may not know 
the King. You can any day. You can know him today. Come down and talk to any one of us here. That's As a church, we're all about, together, helping people connect with God. Enter into a relationship and grow in that relationship with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to come down and talk and pray with myself and Todd will be up here. But you can know the King. And some of you know the King, but you have allowed yourself to be led by another King like I allowed myself to do. It's time to dethrone that King and allow the real King to lead you. Is there a Samuel in your life that is speaking to you, speaking some wisdom? I want to encourage you to listen to them and don't say no too quickly. Take some time to pray about it. Maybe check with another Samuel and see if that wisdom holds up. Listen to them. And as I encouraged you before, some of you are walking strongly and the King, Christ, is leading you, but he may be leading you as a Samuel to somebody to lovingly speak truth and wisdom into their life. Do that. You're going to help somebody stop living for a king and to start living for the king, God, 